everybody. We are live. If somebody could type in yes, that you can hear me, that would be great. It's doing all my hair there. There we go. <laughs> all right. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. Xandri, uh, thank you so much for confirming you guys can hear me. Um, it always takes a little while for everybody to trickle in. So I think I'll ramble on uh, some licensing related stuff and then we'll get to the q and I can see you guys already have some good questions in here. Um, so go ahead and type your questions in. Um, we got nine people in here right now. I'll probably get up to like 80 or so is my guess. Um, takes a little while to get there because people get notified of the live stream and everything. Um, so just want to remind everybody that what we guide people to do is licensing. And so for anybody who watches the recording too, please do not consider anything I share with you to be legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, this is for educational purposes. Um, also, I'll remind you guys that we focus on licensing, which is an amazing business model. Absolutely amazing. Don't need to raise money. Don't need to hire employees. Don't need to try to get into retailers that don't want to give you the time of day. You get all that in one place. So when you license to a large company, um, it's their money, it's their distribution, and it's their employees. You're tapping into this machine. So if you have a dog toy and they have 80 dog toys, well, they got sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, doing everything they need to do, get those dog toys out there, and then your, your dog toy is plugged into that machine. Um, don't need to worry about money. These companies are large that you're going to license to. So they have unlimited money for a product that sells well, as opposed to you trying to do it yourself. You can actually run out of money where you're not getting paid for God knows how long and you don't have enough money to float. But with licensing, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and then also you're tapping into existing distribution. So if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you can be in 30,000 stores too. Retailers don't want to give one product, one SKU companies the time of day or a pain in their butt. If you're trying to sell it yourself, they're worried you're not going to deliver on time. You're going to be underfunded, quality issues, God knows what else. So when you're licensing, they don't have to worry about that. They're going to take it on as their product. And they are renting the idea from you. You never want to say, I want to sell you my patent or I want to sell you my product. You want to say you want to license it, which is basically renting or leasing your product, which means it, you want them to take it on. You want them to have it forever as long as they're paying you royalties that you're satisfied with. And you specify that in the licensing agreement. But if they falter at some point, you have the right to take it back. doesn't mean you will, but it means you can. Depends on the circumstances, of course. So let's get in. Let's just start um, asking um, answer. I'll start answering some questions. If you guys want to ask some more questions. Last time, I don't think I got to all the questions. So uh, I always say for those, if you show up early, I'll get to it. But if you show up late, 50 minutes in and type a question, there's a good chance I won't be able to get to it. Um, so my name is Andrew Krause and I co-founded InventRight. The website's inventright.com uh, 22 years ago with Stephen Key. And we've been successfully coaching and mentoring inventors to license or rent their ideas to big companies ever since. So let's jump in. Uh, Henry says, if you become a student in your class and you have, uh, it's first of all, it's not a class, it's mentoring and coaching. So it's one-on-one -on -one, uh, guidance for your particular product. But I don't mind you saying that. A lot of people say that. Um, if I become a student in your class and have a design that fits well, will there still be a design fee by them saying, okay, it a go is what you wrote. Um, well, first of all, when you, when you sign up with our premium program, it does include a virtual prototype and a sell sheet. So there would be a no additional fee for that. If you have ones beyond the first product, we, ch we charge a small fee to our students for uh, sell sheets and virtual prototypes. Um, and we do not limit our students to working on one product. At the beginning, we say you can only work on one product. But once you get those initial LinkedIn messages, emails, and sometimes phone calls in, you as long as you're in like maintenance mode, then is the good time to work on your second project because you've experienced the whole process up to reaching out. And so you kind of work with your coach and go, hey, can I work on two now at a time? And everybody is different. Um, but we don't limit you to one project. But we do give our brand new students one sell sheet, one virtual prototype. So there would be no 
extra to design fee for a virtual prototype because that is included. Um, Derek says, last week I said it wrong. I had a product manager like my idea, but the marketing team doesn't know how to convey it to the consumer. I'm working on other things with them that they are making prototypes for. Okay. Other, usually you don't want to work on multiple projects when you're new with a company you want to, but I don't know what the scenario is. And they gave me some bullet points to work on for them um, that the, on the marketing doesn't know how to mark market, I guess you're trying to say. Um, so, you know, that that's really your fault, man. I mean, I'm just, I'm just making a point here. I'm not, it's nothing's your fault, Derek, but what I'm saying is, you know, it sounds like whatever marketing materials you sent to them, our students use a one page sell sheet and or a short under 60 second video, quite often 30 second video um, that they saw past the bad marketing because obviously they don't feel like the marketing's good enough to start marketing the product. Um, and they, but they saw potential in the product. So that was really on you. Now you might say, well, they're a big company, Andrew, they should know how to market it. Well, they're, they're not, and you know the product, so you need to show them how they're going to market it. You need to create a marketing piece. You're not a student of ours, obviously, um, but you need to kind of guide them to show them. Otherwise, this deal, which doesn't sound like it's a done deal at all, will fizzle out if they don't have a clear picture of how to market this thing. And so the sell sheet, guys, is not for the company. It's for their customer. You want them to see it and go, oh, if our customers saw this for dog toys or medical device or whatever it is, um, I think our customers would want it. So that's your job, Derek, to do a better job of that because it sounds like they're struggling um, and they're not, you know, they're not either not trying that hard. Maybe the person you talk to now, I mean, their marketing team's not really on it. And so they need to be convinced. Otherwise, you're not going to close this deal, man. It's going to fizzle out and it's going to die. Um but they were interested in it despite the marketing not being good enough. Um, so that's fantastic. So you need to work on that like ASAP and get them what you think the marketing is. And if you don't have help, you need to find somebody. You can get our help um, if you want to sign up as a student or you need to find somebody that's really good at marketing. And we're talking a one page sell sheet because if you think about a one page PDF sell sheet is an advertisement for your product. You don't have any more space than that on the product packaging either. So you start doing like, well, here's my 20 page slide deck, PowerPoint, like, no, you, you gotta show them how the marketing is gonna be and in one page. Um, so, so that's that. Uh, Jeremy said, can you speak a little bit about submitting ideas to All Star? All Star is a DRTV infomercial as seen on TV company. I hear that they, that the prototype has to be more refined. Are they willing to look at a rough prototype? Uh, that still has kinks to work out. Well, first off, never, ever, ever work on a product. And this isn't you, Jeremy. I'm just making a point here for everybody else that you are only going to send it to one company. Um, you need to have 20 or 30 companies. Um, and, you know, sometimes you only have 12 or 18. Okay, that's fine. But um, so why do you care about what All-Star needs? If you're working on a product, you're going to send a, a marketing piece to them. You're not going to send a prototype. You're going to send a marketing piece. See if they're intrigued. Here's my answer, which you may not have expected, and some of you others may not have expected too. I've never seen a deal fall apart because the inventor didn't have a prototype, ever. They were interested, and they were intrigued by your marketing materials and going, oh, we think we can sell this, okay? And quite often, uh, when they ask you for a prototype, you won't have to provide one if you talk to them in the right way. Ask them why they need it. You know, and quite often our students will come back and we'll go, why don't you say this and this and this to them? And they're like, holy crap, Andrew, that worked. They're like, well, we have enough to go get some quotes overseas now. Yeah, you gave us what we need. So don't always take what a company asks you at face value. They ask you for prototypes. You're like, oh, crap. Okay, now I need to go out and spend five grand on a prototype. Hell no. You know, most of the time you you do not. And they will never go, well, oh, you teased us. You don't have a prototype because people, inventors have this grand misperception. It's a very big misperception. It's going to screw you guys up if you don't know this, that one, you need a patent to license a product. 
No, just file a provisional patent for 75 bucks. And two, you need this beautiful like production ready prototype or a prototype of some kind. No, you're not selling your prototype or your patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. And that can be done in a good marketing piece like a video or a short um, one page sell sheet, which is what most of our students do. So um, why do you care? Go ahead. Go fishing. Get interest. They'll let you know. If they're interested, some companies will insist you make a prototype, but then we guide our students. Well, you could say this and this, and they're like, oh crap, now I don't have to make it. Great. And then others might insist. A lot of times you can get them to make it. All the time we get our students to guide the company to make a prototype. A lot of times you don't need a prototype. It's like, we just need to get some quotes overseas and make sure we can make this for under $9.95 or whatever it is. You know, maybe it's a thousand dollar product, but under 995 because we don't believe people will pay more than that. And once they get that verification, that's just an example. They're like, okay, no, this is our perception of the product. We're good. We can make it. We can make it a reasonable price. We're good to go. And there's no prototype ever made. Okay. Um, because they're like, this is clear. It depends on every product. So um, Jeremy, I don't really care what they want or what they don't want. Go fishing and be worried about or address, not worried about, address whatever the company is is asking you for but also you know you need to realize that that you don't just give the company whatever they want if you just like oh i'll just listen they want this okay here you go they want this okay here you go no you get on the stupid phone with them and you interview them as much as they are you we guide our students to do that um so let's see roaming tortoise which is marcus um is a regular, if I have an LLC for my small business making handmade items, would I want to create a specific LLC for licensing product ideas? So the company could care less. It makes no difference to the company you license to if you use an LLC, if you use your own name, if you use a corporation, you use a different LLC, they don't care. They just want your product. Now, it can make a difference for you, though. Um, we always insist that our students never sign a deal under their own name. Has it ever been a problem in 22 years? Never. But just in case there is some sort of dispute or something, it's better that you do the licensing deal under the LLC. So um, Marcus, if you have an LLC where you're making handmade items, I'm assuming you know that's a little bit of revenue. So I don't really see it as being a problem. This is not legal advice that you would throw it under that same LLC. How many, how many LLCs do you have? You don't know how much money the product will be making um, that you're going to license. Maybe it's through the roof. Maybe it's not. If you have serious liability concerns, if you separate the LLCs, great. But I don't think for most of you that's going to be an issue. Um, like if for your handmade items that you're making, it's a little small business and you got like massive money coming in there and then you get a sudden dispute on one end or the other with the company where you're making handmade items or the product you license, now they're commingled into the same company. Have I ever seen that be a problem? No. Have I have ever had somebody have to use their LLC as protection because somebody got sued? Never. Could it happen? Yeah. Like we've had students do knives and ladders and all sorts of stuff. I've never had a student come back to me and say, the there was a consumer that sued the company I licensed to because they got hurt on the ladder, let alone they sued the inventor. So here's 20 ways till Tuesday, not 20. There's a few, but it's enough where you guys are protected and you shouldn't worry about um, product liability. So one, when you do a licensing deal, you want to insist that you're covered under their product liability insurance. All these companies will have at least a million or two million dollars in product liability insurance frequently our students will get into arguments with the potential licensee during the negotiation, the argument, but debate, um, where the company's like, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't put it under our product liability insurance. And our, our negotiation coach is like, no, no, you need to double check because you're they're talking to the marketing person, right? They don't know. And no, you need to double check. Um, it's We've never had a case where it costs the company one cent more to put you under their product liability insurance. So that's method number one. So first of all, you're protected under their product liability insurance. Somebody gets hurt with the product, they're not going to sue you. They're going to sue the company, you know, because they got deep pockets. But if somehow they found, oh, this is the inventor, or they have a patent on this or whatever, they want to sue you, you're still covered under their product liability insurance. 
Second thing is form protection, which I just kind of mentioned, is they don't even know you exist. Okay. And most companies aren't putting the name of the inventor and the picture on the package, but they don't know you exist. So they're 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 just so unlikely that they're going to be suing you. So you're covered under the LLC, you're covered under the product liability insurance, you're covered in the fact that you're anonymous, more or less, quite often. Um, and so you're covered every which way till Tuesday. I've never, ever seen one of our students have an issue um, with getting sued by a company, let alone a consumer. But that, but that's the reason why we, we do insist that you always do the deal under an LLC. So now for Marcus, if he's selling some handmade items and then he does a deal, like it depends on what state you're in. Some states to do a new LLC, it's like 10 bucks. Um, California, last time I checked, it was 800. In Nevada, where I live, is 300. It's just one more thing to manage. So you have to decide from uh, your standpoint whether it makes sense to put in the same LLC or a new LLC. But we always insist that our students do an LLC, um, you know, because you just you just never know. Something could happen. Uh, Tony said, Andrew, can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule every week to give back and help out struggling inventors. You demand. Great. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate being the man. Um, <laughs> and then you said, is the term sell sheet widely recognized or an invent right term? It's fairly widely recognized. Sometimes people call it a tear sheet or a sell sheet. Um, but, and then you said asking to send an info sheet feels a little less pressure and sales like your thoughts. No, I just call it a sell sheet. Just, you know, I, I, I would even call it a one-page sell sheet. Oh, great. I appreciate it. He's going to be sending me one page. I don't have time to go through some ridiculous 30-page PowerPoint, which is what some people want to send. So never send long 30-page PowerPoints or any crap like that. Always send a one-page sell sheet. Some of our students will also send a short video. Some people just do a video and not do a sell sheet. But most of our students do sell sheets, and I would not worry for a second about calling it a sell sheet. You've already defined in your email that you're looking to license them this product, and I would even call it a one-page sell sheet. So, and you know, so you can see how it'd be advertised to your customers if you took it on. You could put that. So it's like if that makes you feel a little more comfortable, um, but don't think feel like you're being a sales schmuck just because you call it a sell sheet. I wouldn't worry about that for two seconds. Never got a single piece of feedback to that effect over 22 years. So that's a pretty big sample size of experience. Wouldn't worry about that. Um, let's see. Uh, Alexandre said, uh, hi, Andrew, are you aware of any inventor groups in Canada? How hard is it to start one? Well, I ran an inventors association for, for 14 years. Um, uh, we have a group that we started called Inventor Groups of America called IGA, inventleaders.org is the website. And we started that group because Steve and I knew so many inventor group presidents around the country and realized they didn't have any support. So we started that group with a monthly meeting to help the inventor group presidents to help each other and we can help them and stuff. And then it morphed into us also just doing live free seminars for inventors anywhere in the world um, once a month through IGA. And there's some other free resources in eventleaders.org. So we started that group to help inventors uh, associations. Um, it can be a bit of work. Um, you might under, you might find out that you di don't really understand inventors as thought as well as you thought you did. Um, you know, you, you have to decide what you want the group to be. Different groups around the U.S. and Canada and internationally handle things differently. Um, you need to decide how you're going to handle it. Do you want a small group with five people? Do you want an inventors group with 100 people? What do you want to do? Do you want to kind of test it out, do a meetup.com and see if some people show up and see if you like that? You've got to decide what you want it to be, but it is it is quite a bit of work. If you kept it really simple, but you need to decide what that is. Otherwise, the members will just keep dumping work on you. You'll get phone calls and inventor will want to talk to you for an hour. And and I, I did that so much in the early days, but you got to decide how much time you have and you have to set expectations and parameters for the association and what you want to do. But if you go to inventleaders.org or just type in IGA Inventor Groups of America, um, you can find more information on our website. That's kind of a, it's Stephen and I put all our money in there. We don't sell anything. 
it's just one of our other community services in addition to all the free stuff we do at InventRight. So I make sure to check that out. Um, Tony said, almost forgot to ask, what criteria would you suggest when we consider choosing a DRTV company to approach first, second, and third, and so on? Um, I would I would Google them and find out what other people are saying about them. There are some DRTV companies that people have um, some extremely negative things to say about. Um, DRTV and infomercial as seen on TV is kind of a get-rich-quick kind of um, vibe. Let's just be honest. Um, also, the other thing that I would say, if you have a product these things right for DRTV, most likely it's also right for standard consumer product companies. So you might have four DRTV companies and then 15 standard consumer product companies. Um, the DRTV companies are really weird about who did you else did you show it to. Other industries, not a problem at all. But with them, they're kind of like that. So if you're going to do DRTV as seen on TV, I would show to them first and nobody in DRTV is interested, then go over to the standard consumer product companies. And what I mean by that is, like, you got a kitchen gadget. It might be a great slice and dice thing for TV. But, hey, a regular um, kitchen gadget company could sell that just fine as well. So don't limit yourself to the DRTV infomercial. Also, market, also, um, a lot of people think that they're like, oh, I want to get as seen on TV. And I look at the product, I'm like, that's totally not an as-seen-on-TV product. Nice thing about as-seen-on-TV is some products that might not sell well at all at the store, if they have an infomercial, people might get it and then demand it, you know? So um, a lot of folks think they have an as-seen-on-TV product because they've heard that it's kind of a get-rich-quick deal. And I'm not saying that necessarily in a positive light. It's both. It's positive and negative. Um, and they're, like, limiting their audience. It's like, no, you, you could call a kitchen gadget company there, too, for this kitchen product. So don't limit your list is my comp, um, compliment, my comment to your question. And really Google each one. And I don't think you'll find an as seen on TV where you're not going to find some negative stuff. But some of them, it's pretty horrendous. So um, just, just Google it. Doing it as seen on TV infomercials for the fainted heart is not for the fainted heart. So if you're worried, if you're a super paranoid inventor, do not do an as seen on TV product because there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happened in DRTV. Um, I'll say it as I say it pretty much on every live stream. I've never had one of our students get knocked off by a company they presented to. Okay. Um, now, because our students, I'm talking about our students, not our fans, they're doing and saying everything right. Um, it'll happen one day. We'll get a student gets knocked off. But don't think that all these companies are out there to knock you off, guys. Um, and when I talk to inventors outside InventRight and they tell me what they did and how they acted, and then this bad story, I'm like, wow, yeah, you were acting like a nutty inventor. It wasn't right for them to do what they did, but probably never would have that gone that direction if they saw you knew what you were doing, you know? Um, so I think what knowing what you're doing and being professional will scare off the majority of those three to 4% of companies that would even consider um, stealing your idea. So I think that's the reason why it hasn't happened to one of our students in, in 22 years that I'm aware of. Um, okay, let's see who else we got here. Okay, uh, Dumb Cat is their handle. And no, I'm not calling our fans dumb. That's their handle, Dumb Cat. Uh, do you have any examples of students successfully licensing an idea for software programs, especially one they had not built yet, but merely had an idea for? Dumbcat, I really don't recommend you working on that product. I don't know what your product is, but working on it, if you don't have a background, and you didn't say this, but if you don't have a background in software and you can't intelligently talk about what backend database you're using and stuff like that, the software geeks look at you and they're thinking, they're not saying it, but they're like, oh, that's all great guy with your idea, but it's going to take a, six guys in a room half a year to program that. Um, no, there's other program products where it's an app or something where it's very easy to program. But basically, everybody and their grandmother has an idea for an app. You know, even Granny has an iPad, although she can barely use a computer, but she has an iPad and she has an idea for for a new app. And I haven't found the software developers are very open to that. So what I'll say is, if you're a professional software developer or you've been in the software business a long time, 
and you can intelligently talk about developing these products, that there is no difference between licensing a software product to a certain extent and licensing a physical product. But if you have no background in software and you've got some physical products, do the physical products, do not do the software. It's, it's brutal. Now, even if you do have a background in software, if you're trying to license to a Microsoft or an Apple or a Google, you might as well just give up now. It ain't going to happen. Okay. You might license to a smaller company that they may buy out. But um, I'm really not big on, oh, I'm going to license my app or I don't want to license my, um, my software program. If you have a background in it, absolutely, yes, we can use the same invent right approach we use for physical products and you are wired up to do it. But if, if not, I don't think it's a good use of your time. Um, so can you, getting to the other part of your question, if you just have an idea with software, yeah, you need to kind of like, you need to have more with software, but you don't have to have actually developed it. You need to kind of have mock-ups and screenshots. You need to do a lot more to prepare to show them kind of what it would look like and how it worked. So you don't have to actually have the program. You could have mock-ups as to what the software would look like, some different screens. So it's kind of, um, they can get an idea there. But if you don't have a background in software and you have some physical products, do the physical product, don't do the software. That's my advice. Um, Wait, Tim said, hi, Andrew, I've checked out the larger tool company websites and they spe specify that you must have a patent to submit. Do you know if this is set in stone or you can submit a PPA? So a lot of times you just go ahead and submit and you ask for forgiveness later. And, you know, you have a PPA, you put patent pending on there. And, you know, if they didn't specifically state. So first of all, let's go, let's go rewind a little bit. If they say that you need to have an issued patent, that company is not interested in your ideas, okay? If it specifies issued. If they just say you need a patent, don't ask. Go ahead and send them the idea and, and put patent pending if you filed a provisional. Legally, you can say patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending and see if there's interest. We've had uh, quite a few students that they got to a marketing manager at a company that were on their website, they said they don't receive outside product submissions anymore, but they got to a marketing manager on LinkedIn or via email, and they said, yes, send it on over. Same company that said we don't accept outside product submissions. Same kind of deal if, if they say, you know, but if they say that you can only have an issued patent, that's a red flag, people. That's ridiculous. You're going to spend $10,000 on a patent, wait one to three years for it to issue, and then approach companies, the product might not make any more sense. It's too big of a financial risk. You don't want to take that risk. You want to file a provisional for 75 bucks. You get a whole year to fish off the end of the pier. So um, tools are a little bit harder to license. They're definitely licensable. And we've had plenty of students that some of these tool companies, I've seen them go back and forth with we're open to ideas. We're not open. We're open. We're not open. So whatever company you, you are seeing where it specifies you might have a patent to submit, well, if they don't specifically specify that um, it has to be an issued patent, I'd just go ahead and send them. You got your provisional patent. And so what you're, what you're doing is to worry about meeting their criteria, you want them to be intrigued with your product and they will go outside of their normal routine if they like your product enough. So you just want to get the product in front of them, you know. Um, but if it says that you have to have an issued patent, that's archaic, guys. Any company that says that really is basically saying we don't want your ideas. Um, let's see. Uh, Johnny said, hey, uh, do you have any audiobooks we could listen to? Yeah, our book, One Simple Idea. Here, I'll type it in. You can, you can Google it. One Simple Idea. Get the latest version. You can get the audio version of that, Johnny. Um, and that, it teaches our 10 steps. So you can read the book or you can get the audio version. You know, I, I need to check to see if the, you, you check and let me know if the audio version is still available. I believe it is. Um, uh, Aaron said, do you have any advice on getting feedback after receiving a no? Okay, so... What you majority of what you guys get is going to be no's and it's perfectly fine. Um, all those no's will get you to a yes. 
And every time you get a no, you made a relationship. So if they say no to a particular idea and you got a kitchen gadget and now you got their name, you get their email address and you can just send another kitchen gadget to them because that's what they do, you know? So every time you send a product, it's an opportunity to make a relationship and you didn't get rejected. You made the relationship. Now they said no to that particular product, but they didn't say no to you sending any more ideas. So feel really good about that. Don't feel bad about them saying no to your particular product. They know it's hard at the beginning, but that's the majority of what you're going to get. You only one saying they don't, none of them is going to say yes. It's going to be one or two or three or four showing interest. And then you move it forward to a yes. Right. So, but specifically your question was getting feedback after receiving a no. One thing you don't want to do is do the whiny. Why? Why didn't you like it? Well, you know, so basically um, my advice there would be to say, um, no problem. Thank you so much for letting me know that this product is not a right match for your company. I look forward to sending you more products in the future. I don't expect it, but if you had a sentence or two with any feedback on this product, make sure the sell sheet's attached because they're not going to go digging for your old email, but the sell sheet's attached again. Uh, if, you, if you had a sentence or two to say for any feedback, I promise I won't bother you any further on this product, but it'd be much appreciated, but totally not expected. Wow, this guy's really professional. So that's the way I would handle it. And, and you know, if, if one in five or four people you ask for it, but you'd straight up tell them you do not expect it. So now... They're not like, oh, this guy's just a pain in my butt. I don't have time for this. I told him no. Like, you're not expecting it. Um, but let's say one in five gave it to you. Let's say you reached out to 20 companies and one in five gave you that feedback. Well, you got feedback from four people there. And you're like, oh, crap, I see a pattern here. All four said the same thing or they're all saying different things. So eh, I, don't, I don't think that has a lot of value. But um, so that would be that would be a little bit of advice. There's a lot of different ways you can approach that. But that would be one way. Um Okay. Uh, this one's interesting. I always like it when I get new ones that I don't get often. Uh, Leaf, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Happy Monday. Do you have any advice on tax sheltering R&D expenses now that we have to amortize them rather than deducting them directly like normal? Well, yeah, I'll give you some advice there. Just as, as a joke, but really not a joke. Don't spend money on R&D. <laughs> That's my advice. So the whole, and I'm, I'm exaggerating to make a point, and I'll explain why I say that. The crux of the InventRight approach is, and we have, we've had students that work on highly complex products that done deep research on, and we have people that done next to no research on it other than the market research, and they're like, well, the product makes sense, it's cute, it's funny, it, it's useful, it reduces the price of the product, whatever it is, and, you know, they didn't spend any money on R&D. So, um, if you're saying, you know, you're concerned about writing off R&D costs, my comment is don't work on products that require R&D other than just your own time. Now, we've had plenty of students that have done, you know, incredible research development, spent a lot of money on it. But you don't have to do that. You know, you can. there's a lot of products you can come up with that don't require that. But some of you are engineers and you want to get deep into that and all that. But in the time you could have done deep R&D on one product, you might have been able to work on five other products that required, I'm not, so the whole point, you know, sometimes people go, well, you know, should I file my LLC now, Andrew? And I'm like, well, using our approach, you don't have a bunch of costs to write off. Why don't you file it when you're in the midst of doing a deal? Because with our, you're not starting a business. You don't have all these expenses to write off. But leave, maybe you do. Maybe you have highly complex products that require you to invest $50,000 in R&D. Um, I don't like that. I don't like that you're having to do that. Might it make sense for certain products? Yes. But so I can't provide you tax advice there. Um, but, you know, my comment is when you're licensing, you don't have all these costs. You don't have all these write-offs because you're not risking all that money. And you can license it and put all that financial risk off into the big company. And quite often, if you're fairly certain how it can be made, you can give them, you're like, well, I think you could look at this product and I'm just changing like this and that. And you get them to do the R&D, you know, quite often. Or if we guide our students to get the company to do that quite often. That doesn't mean that you have this product, you just you have no idea how this thing's going to be made. and You're going to license it. 
you know, that doesn't go over well. But if you're like, I'm fairly certain how this is going to be done, and you might not even understand a big part of the product, but you understand your, your change to it. Some people go, well, do I need to understand the circuit board in there? Because electronic, I'm like, no, you're saying you make this change and they know that, or there's an existing product that, that they can look at and go, oh, well, they can make it. See, so, yeah, we can do that. So Leaf, I can't offer specifically um, tax advice there because I'm not a tax advisor and anything that I share today should not be considered tax or legal advice. Just a little disclaimer there. But so my answer is probably not what you thought. Like, don't spend a bunch of money on R&D. Why take that risk? But that doesn't mean that some of you won't or you have a project where it does make sense. So hopefully that was helpful, Leaf. Um, Michael says, do you look for the production or marketing side to license my idea? Don't know what that means. Let's figure that out. And what's the best way? In, okay, so let's do that. Do I look for the production or marketing side to license my idea? So maybe Michael's just saying, who do I reach out to? You definitely don't reach out to the manufacturing guys. You reach out to the marketing guys every time, guys. And then sometimes the sales guys, they just want something new to sell. And maybe they like it and they'll introduce you to the marketing guys. So if that's your question, it's either sales or marketing, but you're not reaching out to the manufacturing guys. I'm not saying in some weird way that might not work, but they don't make those decisions. They wouldn't be the right guys to reach out to. You might be talking to them or the marketing guy might be talking. You might have to answer their questions. But that's not who you initially reach out to. Um, and what's the best way in contacting the right person once I know the first question? Okay, so we guide our students to reach out on via LinkedIn, via email, and via phone. All three methods. Um, back in the day, we've been doing this 22 years, you know, we have people mailing sell sheets. Yes, we have people mailing sell sheets. Do we do that anymore? Absolutely not. They're going to be emailed, Okay. Um, but so you can email them, you can send it through LinkedIn. I think it's always better once you hook up with somebody on LinkedIn that you do an email after that, but whatever works. And then for the ones that you can't reach on LinkedIn or email, you're going to pick up the stupid phone and you're going to call them. And so all three of those methods are the way you'd reach out to a marketing and or salesperson. And that answering your first part of the question, yes, it would be a marketing and or salesperson. Um, uh, this is a funny one. Uh, Morris said, hi, I'm Morris. Uh, wondering, can you market an acronym? I, I don't think so, Morris. Um, you know, uh, I, I, we had this really weird scenario, which is the only time I've ever seen this happen. Um, a company, not a company, one of our students was trying to license a product. And they, they kind of had, uh, by the way, guys, most of our students, they don't do trademarks. They just do a registered trademark. Just, just like copyright, you can just put them on notice, see what's circle around and automatically copyright it. Same thing with the registered trade, with the common law trademark, put a TM circle around, kind of putting people on notice, you intend on using the name for the product. It's not, it, we don't have time to go into the details and how it protects you or doesn't protect you. But to go out and spend 1500 bucks on a registered trademark every time we come up with an idea, probably a bad idea. But our student didn't do that. So they reached out and they just put TM, which is free and a little circle around it common law trademark saying, hey, we intend on using this. And this particular scenario, they weren't interested in um, in the product, but because the trademark was really cool and it was in the, the product category, they're in there like, we want to license the trademark. Only time I've ever seen that one time in 22 years where they actually like, a student ended up licensing the trademark instead of the product. That wasn't even what they intended on licensing. Um, so then getting to your question, can you market an acronym? No, I don't think you can you can license that. I don't I need to get into a conversation about how that would work. Um, but no, I, I don't think that's possible. Um, let's see. Huh. Johnny, Johnny interesting is their handle. That's fun. Is there a flowchart spider diagram that shows the different elements and branches to licensing? Um, there's really not a lot of branches to licensing. The two main types of licensing are invention licensing and brand licensing. Uh, brand licensing is like Disney. They don't make much of anything. 
they license Mickey Mouse or Cars or Descendants or whatever their different brands and characters are to other people making coffee mugs and T-shirts and action figures. So that's called brand licensing. That's not what you guys are doing. But so uh, companies are doing brand licensing. They, they got this great brand. Like I, I saw a Jeep boombox the other day, right? It's a boombox and it says Jeep on it. Jeep didn't make that boombox. They licensed it to a company that makes, you know, boom boxes or Bluetooth, you know, speakers or things like that. It says Jeep on it and they just get paid and they don't have to do anything. Needs to meet. And that's called brand licensing. And then you guys are licensing your inventions, not to retailers like newbies think, but you're licensing to the manufacturers that sell at the retailers. Right. So but I think the roadmap, if that's what you're asking for, Johnny, is is one simple idea. So uh, go on Amazon, type in one simple idea. I typed in the chat. So and and get our book, One Simple Idea. And then that would be the process if we were going to coach you. We're going to guide you through those 10 steps. But, you know, there's a difference between a book, reading a book and go, how do I apply this? And a coach actually guiding you is a lot more powerful, of course. So that, I want to that brings me to um, the fact we're we've got about 19 minutes left here. Um, check out the free resources on inventright.com. Um, here, I'll type in our website. Okay, go to inventright.com. I just typed it in there. It went in. Did it go in right? Let's see. Yeah. Um, and check out the free resources tab. There's a ton of cool stuff to sign up for there. Uh, a ton of free resources. And then if you guys are interested in coaching, click on contact us. And you can talk to Sylvia or Dana. You might not even be ready yet, but... Just want to understand what you guys are offering. Talk to them. They're super friendly. They won't nag you or hassle you or follow up with you every two days and say crap like invention promotion companies do. You know, they're they're those guys are terrible. They're like obnoxious New York stockbrokers. They never go away. We never do that. So feel free to talk to them about the programs and how we can help. And even if you're not ready yet, just go. Okay, when I'm ready, I, I might do that. I might not. We're really chill. Um, let me see. Now I lost track of where I am. Let's see. Let's see, I guess Michael and then uh, Morris with the acronym. God, I shouldn't page down and completely lose my spot. Um, so, Johnny, yeah, one simple idea. I think watching our show, which reminds me down below, click on the subscribe button, click on the notification button if you're not subscribed. So you get notified of these things that we do every Monday. I do Q&A, completely free for the public. And the feedback's been great. You guys seem to love it. Um, and for those of you showing up late, if I don't get to your question, as I say every time, show up earlier next time at the top of the hour and ask your questions. And, and it's more likely that I'll get to your question. Um, uh, Waleed, you're welcome. If, and you also said, if my product is little improvement of a brand, can I use a picture of the brand or its packaging with my development included? Yeah, quite often it's okay to do that. Um, well, first off, um, never just work on a product that's for one company, guys. When I see people like, oh, I invented this thing for this one company. I'm like, well, great, but I can see the product and I'm kind of looking at the space. I'm like, you could reach out to 15 other, 20 other companies on this too. And, and you should, because you never work for a product just for one company. Always think, how, how could this marketing piece be sent to 20 other companies too? Okay. So, um, but you said it's a little improvement of a brand. I don't know what that means, but if it's a slight improvement, sometimes are, are, are good to license. Risk adverse companies like slight improvements. Some other companies like huge changes. It really depends on the product you know, in the, in the company. Um, so what he's saying is, can I basically include in my marketing materials? So, you know, there's called something called fair use. So not when it's public. I had this student once, kind of funny in retrospect, because nothing bad happened, but he, he didn't let us know. And apparently he created a website and he had NFL logos all over it, right? And all over his product and everything. And, and he was working with us for a little bit. And it was only like a week or two. And he's like panic. He's Andrew. I, I got this, you know, I got, I got a letter from the NFL attorney. They're saying they're going to sue me, blah, blah. I'm like, what? I'm like, and then he looked, he's like, this is my website. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? 
you can't publicly use NFL logos all over your product like that. You can't do that. Just say, I am sorry. Just take down the website, email them right away and say, I'm sorry. I'll never use your, your, your trademark again. And they, they didn't pursue him. You know, you can't do that publicly. Now there is something called fair use. So when you're privately emailing somebody and you state that this is for illustrative purposes only and all the trademarks and products are the right of their respective owners, that's called fair use, you know, so you could do it. But you have to do it in a way, Waleed, that doesn't freak them out or, or freak their competitor out. Well, that's our competitor, you know, but it, it's we've had. So it really depends. I can't tell you that you should do it where you're using somebody else's product and you're modifying it. I've had plenty of scenarios where it's perfectly fine. I've seen scenarios. I'm like, oh, don't do it like that. So I can't really fully answer your question. But under fair use laws, if you're privately showing it for illustrative purposes and you state that and the right of all the trademarks and products or of their respective owners, you don't claim any rights just for illustrative purposes. And you're privately showing it to email to that marketing manager here and one over there that that you should be fine. But should you do it? It really depends. Um, it really depends. So. Uh, so I would be careful, um, and I'm not advising you to do that. That's not legal advice, okay? Um, Travis says, how do we research the size of a company's distribution channel, i.e. the amount of stores they're in and the shelf space? Is there an industry reference book? No, dude, you don't. Travis, you don't need that. All you have to do is Google their products, and you see where they show up. What do you need to know if you see a company showing up in Lowe's and Walmart and Walgreens. You don't need to know anything more. You don't need to research each company you reach out to. If they're in a major retailer you want to be in, that's all you need to know at this time. Now, when you get interest, let's say you reach out to 30 companies, you get interest from three, let's say. Researching a little more thoroughly, those three, great, but I wouldn't even do that. I would get on the phone and talk with them and we guide our students and our negotiation coach guides your students and how to have those calls. Um, and see if it's going to fall out. Like this, this thought that just because you reached out to them that you're under some sort of obligation to do a deal with them is ridiculous. The litmus test, they're in a major retailer you want to be in. Um, and it's not just how big they are. It's how, you know, you might have this really, really big company, but they got small plans for your product. You might have this medium to large size company. They're pretty big, but they're not quite as big as the other guys. And they got big plans for your product. So it's not just how big the company is, but what are their plans for your product? You're not going to find that on the first call. That's a lot of back and forth. Okay. So, um, so the litmus test is where are they? You see their website, you start Googling all their products. Maybe on the website says where they sell. You start Googling the name of their products, you see where their stuff shows up. That's a hell of a lot easier. You don't need an industry reference book or, you know, sometimes these websites that list um, company information are wildly inaccurate, crazy inaccurate. I saw so somebody had a question the other day about us. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's not accurate, you know, and, and um, for something that they found on the internet. So I wouldn't rely on those sites. Some of them can be better than others, some of the paid ones, but it's not necessary. You're just wasting your time. And I'm making it simple for you guys. Everything we do is to make things effective, but so you don't waste more time than you need to. People will waste so much time delaying on reaching out to companies, overanalyzing things. You want to analyze it, but in a nice, simple, clean way that makes sense. Okay. And that's was a tip for you guys here. Um, let's see, Wally kind of expanded a. Yeah, I mean, Wally, yeah, you know, you just, it's it's okay. You know, most products are just improvements to existing products. So if that's your concern, that's okay. That's a great thing. And, you know, when your product's an improvement to existing products, there's a ton of barbecue spatulas that kind of have this feature, but yours has this feature and it's a, it's a twist on it. Great. They can go, well, we know it's selling well and you've got a point of difference. So people might more people might purchase ours over theirs. Great. So do not think, guys, that you need to be this massive, massive change. Every company is different. Some of the companies like the slight improvements. Some like the medium. Some like, oh, it's got to be a really big deal. But but don't think that they. it needs to be, there's nothing like it. And it needs to be so special. Slight improvements can be great to license. 
Every company's different, though. Their perception, every company's going to be different. So yeah, I've, I mean, I've helped countless inventors license products over the years, uh, Garmana. Um, so I've been through the process over and over and over again. I was our very first coach. Um, so yeah, I've done that over and over again. Um, uh, Amanda said, Stephen always talks about how effective videos are as part of our marketing, your marketing materials. If you don't have a tangible prototype, how can you make a compelling video demonstrating the product in action? Well, first of all, a lot of times you don't need a video to demonstrate it in action. And a video isn't necessarily what you think it is. It might be a series of still images with some narration. Some of our students, they'll do a virtual prototype. They'll put it in the cell sheet. But then they'll also use it as a still image in um, a video. Sometimes, you know, it's a series of still images. Sometimes maybe you've got this super crude prototype. Let's say it's a dog toy. Okay. And, you know, literally it's duct taped together, right? But you throw it and you see the dog going crazy for it. You don't show a close up of it because it looks absolutely horrendous, but you kind of create this perception that the product is finished and you're showing some interaction. And then you break away to the virtual prototype that we've done for you. And they're like, oh, I get it. So you can fake it. And that's perfectly okay. But a lot of times you don't even, you're not even physically showing the product. Sometimes I've had students, they, they, the way they cut away the images, they, they show this shot and then this shot. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. So what you're trying to do is relay the benefit of the product. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect prototype or a prototype at all sometimes. Um, so, yeah, sometimes you don't have it and you won't do a video because of that. But sometimes you can still do a video without having a physical prototype and you're just going with the virtual prototype and you're, you're getting some different images and graphics and you're talking um, or you pay somebody, uh, a narrator to talk. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the desk there. Um, so, yeah, that's hopefully that's helpful. Um, yeah, you know, Waleed said, what if a company asked me if I sent the, sent the same idea to their competitors? And you basically say, well, of course, I'm shopping around, but I everything I share with you and with others is confidential. So I would never share anything that you shared with me, nor can I share anything I shared with the companies. But yeah, of course, I'm shopping it around, you know. So um, I find that good companies aren't worried about that. The DRTV guys are, but they're like paranoid. They're weird. Um, I don't find that that's a problem. If that was a common problem, I'd let you guys know. It's just not. Um, and it's kind of a red flag when they ask, but I wouldn't be freaked out about it, you know. Um you know, and you don't want to like give them a, you know, if they want to hold on to your product for months and months and months and want you to not show it to anybody else, that's negotiable. We, we haven't done this in a long time, but maybe they need to pay you a holding fee. Maybe you decide, okay, I'll stop showing it to others. But that could be a real recipe for disaster because you can go back and forth to this company for, you know, a month or two or two and a half months. And they're like, no, nah, we decided not to. Like, oh, crap. And then you call five more companies, get another one interested back and forth. You know, another one to three months. Oh, we decide we're not interested. Now, this takes freaking forever. You really want it to be like a shotgun blast. You get out to everybody. Okay. Um, but there's always exceptions. Um, Amanda also says, which program do most of your students sign up for? Academy classes or premium one-on-one coaching? So uh, 90, 95% of our students sign up for premium one-on-one coaching. A small percentage will sign up for academy, which is group coaching with just three one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, I think they're both great. And then you wrote, does Paul help with negotiation contracts for academy students or is that the only for the premium option? So with the academy, um, Paul is one of our um, academy coaches. So if it's something you can share in the group, like general statements, you can say you don't have to give specifics like the name of the company and the name of the person. Well, they said this, what should I say back? And he can cover that in the group session. So a certain amount we can cover in a group session. Um, but no, the unlimited negotiations is not included with Academy, but it is with premium when you're a member. But we we get plenty of students that will come over and then we can help them with the monthly negotiation package for negotiations. Um, yeah, uh, Amanda was saying uh, that's more of a trademark thing as far as the trademark things. They don't really do trademark licensing here. Well, trademark licensing isn't really a thing, guys. 
Um, we we did it. I mean, if you had this incredible trademark, you wanted to license it, you could use the InventRight approach and try to license it. But it's like when you when one of the things we teach our students is you come up with this dog toy, you come up with a kitchen gadget or whatever, medical device, and you're going to have like 20, 30 potential licensees. How many trademarks that you try to license, this is my trademark, would be applicable to 20, 30 companies? You know? So when people have a trademark, they're like, this is a really good mark, and I think this company should use it. And it's like, yeah, but then if they're not interested, then they're like, they're not interested. You just spend $1,500 on a trademark. So it, it, it is doable. It's something that our students have toyed around with, but not much. Um, I don't really think it's a really good use of your time, to be honest with you, um, to license a name. Um, Art Life is their handle. Do you recommend a college or class that inventors should take for marketing connections and knowledge? No, they, they don't. Licensing is a different avenue. Now, I mean, if you're a good marketer, you should be able to create a good sell sheet, a good marketing piece. And that has nothing to do with licensing. It's just being a good marketer, create a one page sell sheet. Um, but I, I did have a, a potential student that I talked to last week and his sell sheet was like 95% there. Um, but that's pretty rare. I would say 90% uh, of the people that I talk to that have a marketing piece before they come on board is um, pretty poor to just not usable. Okay. And then maybe about 5%. Okay. Wow. We don't have to make many tweaks here. And maybe another 5%. Wow. Good to go. But so we're talking 90% of the sell sheets. I think our, I was on a coaching call the other day and the coaches are like, Andrew, 100%. I'm like, well, there's a few we're pretty much done, but um, it's really, really important that your marketing piece accomplishes that six seconds. I got it. So when a marketing manager gets your product, they need to understand it in six seconds that you want them to be like half paying attention in a day with email, they glance at it and they get it. Now they may or may not be interested, but they get it. And very few people, even some good marketers, people that do marketing for a living because it was their own product, they weren't kind of seeing all the angles and their coach helped them and point, pointed them in the right direction. What's the point in reaching out to 30 companies if your marketing sucks? So um, I've talked to people like, I've been reaching all these companies and then I see their marketing. I'm like, yeah, that's not really very clear. Um, you know, so it's very, very important. So Art Life... Um, I studied marketing in college. I have a bachelor's degree in marketing. I didn't learn about marketing in college. I don't think you need to. I mean, I did and I didn't. I don't think you need to take a college class. I don't think college is the best place to learn about marketing at all. I think college is a great place to learn um, things like engineering or be an industrial designer, things like that. I think in business, you learn it by doing it. Um, so, uh, is it important to be a good marketer? Yeah. And when we get done with our students, they know how to make a good sell sheet. And some of them have no background in marketing, like a lot of them. And then some do, but they're like, ah, I see how it's different for licensing a little bit. Um, so I wouldn't recommend going to college to learn marketing. I, I did it myself. I think it's a waste of time. I'll tell you straight up. Um, but I think you could read some good... Um, good books. Maybe I don't have a particular book to recommend you. I mean, what I recommend is you, you can sign up for us and the coach will teach you in the context of your particular product. Here's how we're going to make the marketing better. And when people are doing their own product, that's when they're really, really listening. You know, it's when they're really, really applying it. So that would be my biased advice. Um, uh, okay. Ooh, this is an interesting one. And then we got maybe one or two more and then we're going to call it a day. Uh, Chris said, can I license a fashion idea to a fashion label? Um, for the most part, no. And so, so here's the deal. So remember I said, you know, we don't, we never had one of our students that I'm aware of get knocked off by a company they presented to. Okay. Um, and our students are working in all sorts of categories. Um, but here's an industry, fashion, right? Fashion, right? All they do is knock each other off, Right. So I'm not saying you can't license in the fashion business, but here's the difficulty with the fashion business. Um, you know, you got a new cut of a dress or something that can't really be protected. And so the way that the fashion industry protects themselves with their brand. So if um, 
if somebody came out with a Calvin Klein new dress and they use the word Calvin Klein, they're going to get their ass sued by Calvin Klein, right? But they can come out with pretty much the exact same dress with the same cut with maybe not if it's a flower pattern, not the exact same flower pattern. That might be a copyright violation, but with a slightly different design or something. And, and they just knock each other off left and right. Big designers come out, then everybody else knocks them off. Okay. So that's what goes on in the fashion business. So um, everybody and their grandmother that went to fashion school is trying to present their new fashion ideas. So if you've got strictly um, something that doesn't have functionality utility and you're trying to license your new dress or your new top with a certain cut or the certain look, um, it's not going to happen. Okay. Now, I have students that are working on um, – now, if you want to go to them and show them how impressive you are, maybe you get a job with them but they're not going to license your new dress design or something. Now, if it has functionality, there's a lot of wearable technology these days where people are modifying like a mechanism on a purse or shoes or clothes or something like that has functionality. Like maybe the shirt reverses and then it does this or that, something that's patentable. You can license that. We've had students license stuff like that. Um, I think we had somebody yeah, do something in shoes and here and there. So you can definitely do that. But here's the deal. Now you're dealing with a company that's used to doing nothing but knocking their competitors off or getting knocked off. Um, and they're not used to really dealing with patents. Now, I bet you Victoria's Secrets have some patents. There's Spanx, you know, things like that where they have they do have intellectual property. So you need intellectual property to license in fashion. But if you're just a fashion designer and you don't have anything that's patentable, uh, you know, I can't guide you to license your new fashion accessory. Now, if it has functionality and utility, it's a purse, it's shoes, it's clothing that can be patented. Now, what you're dealing with, then you need to remind them that you got a patent on it. And they're kind of like, oh, we're not used to doing this. But I think a lot of the companies are kind of changing because you see Victoria's Secrets, you see Spanx, you see other companies that are doing patented clothing. And, and that is a licensable place, but you're dealing with companies that are a little kind of like sucky to deal with because that's not, they're not in the business of normally dealing with patents. Um, but in that case, if you did have a product that had functionality utility, yes, you could license it. If it's just a new fashion design, no. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Amanda, I love it when some of the other people are answering questions. That's great. Amanda kind of answered my question there too for, for Chris. Um, uh, Gabriel said, I have an idea for a product. I did a self-patent search, and so far there's not one, at least not in America, but I saw a product very similar to it in China. I'm not sure if it's patented, what to do. Well, first of all, you did things in the wrong order, Gabriel. Maybe you didn't, but you know I don't have all the info, so I'm going by what you give me. You guys should never, ever be spending two seconds on a patent search until you've done a market search. Get into Google Images get onto all the stores where this type of product is being sold, whatever it is, and do a market search. How does my product fit in the marketplace? Because that tells you what is and isn't selling. Okay, what patents just tell you that somebody threw a bunch of money at an attorney. And most of the time, these patents are weak to garbage and they're very easy to work around because they're not going to do what you guys are going to do is to think about all the variations, workarounds, improvements, include them in your PPA. So um, I'm really not very concerned about prior patents. I'm just saying that to make a point. Um, what is or isn't the marketplace is more important than what is or isn't patented. So none of you should ever be doing a patent search first. You should be doing a market search first. And then you verify that you believe it's a marketable product based on what's out there. Then you can go ahead and do your own patent search. So that's great that you didn't find any, any prior patents that you feel like are an issue, but you should do a market search, really dig down deep. Very few inventors do that. Um, I mean, I talk to inventors who are like, this is my product. And I do a search. And I'm like, oh, it's like this. And like, How did you find that? I'm like, dude, I found that literally in 10 seconds. Like, because they're not doing a market search. Okay. Um, Google Images is a good place to start a lot of different keywords. Just a tip there. Well, yeah, Chris, you know, you have a new unique idea in fashion. We're telling you fashion business is brutal. If it's patentable, Great, but if it's just a new design or a cut for a dress, it's not going to happen. You know, um, they're just, it's just now 
Could you make your a reputation for yourself? Try to get a job with them. Try to get in there as a contractor or something. Yeah, you could might be able to do that. But there's so many uh, fashion designers that want to do that as well. Uh, Nicholas, and then we're going to call it a day. Oh, we went five minutes over. Uh, can I use a provisional pan on a different form of product and a variation of something that's already made with the provisional pan? Is that limited to a certain product and ideas? You can put whatever the hell you want in a provisional. They don't even review it, Nicholas. So um, can I use a provisional pan on a different form of product and a variation of something that's already made? Yes. Most, the vast majority, uh, when inventors are new, they think there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's always something like it. Always. 100% of the time, there's something like it in one shape or form. It might be providing a similar benefit, but in a completely different way or the product same. There's always something like it. People love to challenge me on that and nobody's ever beat me out on that. There's always something like it in some way, shape or form. Um, so yeah, you can file a PPA on a variation of something that's already out there. Absolutely. Um, if there are other prior patents, are you patenting on top of that? Or are you getting around the other patent, if that's the case? Okay. A lot of times there's no patent on it at all. Like you see eight companies doing something and and none of them are saying patent pending. Well, um, then there's probably no prior art and, there's, and it's public domain. But your improvement can be protected. Okay. Uh, Euclid said, thanks, Andrew, for sharing your time and advice. Um, okay. So thank you guys for all the thank yous. Uh, it's six minutes past. I've got an interview actually to do. So I got to jump off on that. Um, but if you guys could subscribe down below, click on the notification button too. That's your way to say thank you to me. Watch all our videos. We have almost 900 videos on YouTube and like them and comment on them. If you don't like, don't, you know, dislike them if you, that's fine as well. Um, but uh, please subscribe. That's the way you can say thank you to me. And if you didn't get your question answered, show up at the top of the hour next time and 99% uh, chance, chance I'll be able to get to it. See you guys. Bye.